0: Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia. Today, we welcome Jason Shapiro. He is the founder of the Crowded Market Report. And today, we're going to learn about trading the asset markets from Jason. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, Jason. So we always remind our viewers that we're not a trading service. Uh, but what you do is you offer education on trading itself. So we're excited to learn some of your trading tips for today. We're going to get into your take on various asset classes. We want to hear your take on Bitcoin's chart as well. But let's start with your process. You tell us that you don't use price, but you use positioning. So what does that mean? Explain the basics of how you approach trading.
1: So I think to gain an edge in trading, um, you know, we have to decipher between What is discounted into a market and what is not discounted into a market? And, 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 you know, that's really where you get it. The market being a discounting mechanism. um, Trying to outthink that is, is a very difficult thing to do over time. So where can we gain an edge in terms of figuring out what's discounted in? And I think most people use price as a discounting mechanism, right? Hey, this thing has gone up a lot. Therefore, a lot of good news is discounted in type of thing. Um, I use participation to determine what I think is discounted in. So it's not necessarily, this thing has gone up a lot, so therefore it's discounted in. Everyone is long this thing already, therefore it's discounted in. Or on the downside, everybody is short this thing already, therefore it's discounted in. So I'm looking, and clearly there are times when there's a correlation there. The things go up a lot. Therefore, a lot of people are super long. But sometimes there is not a correlation there. Um, things gone up a lot and people have not gotten super long. Um, and those are the kind of things you kind of want to ride. Uh, those are trends that you want to ride, I think. Um, as an example, if you have two markets that are trending in a very similar fashion, and one everybody is participating in, and in the other not many people are participating in, I would argue that the trend that not many are participating in has a higher probability of continuing than the trend that everybody is participating in. Because at the end of the day, it's just money going in and money going out. So if all the money is kind of already in, then the chances of, uh, of it continuing is less. So that's kind of how I approach uh, my, my thought process.
0: Get up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you sign up with River at river.com slash TBL. River is our Bitcoin exchange of choice and we love River for two main reasons. Number one, they're Bitcoin only. That means there's no confusion when you go there. And number two, this is really important. River does not use a third party custodian for Bitcoin storage. That means when you buy Bitcoin with River, that Bitcoin is being held in a multi-signature storage solution by River itself, not by any custodian that might default or lose your coins. Check them out today at river.com/tbl for that special offer. Okay, so it's a it's a thought process that is guided by the positioning and the participation on the side of the trend and you me- you're measuring the trend versus the relative participation and that maybe how potentially exhausted or not exhausted that is so give us an example jason let's go to the stock market maybe you could choose an individual equity or the nasdaq uh give us an example what do you see there in stocks today and how how is that related to price and positioning
1: so i um i'm a futures trader Primarily because I use the commitments of traders data, which is a positioning data set. Um, The stock market today, I wouldn't call at a maximum crowded long position, um, which means that I am not looking to get short right here. Right. Um, And this positioning changes, you know, obviously every week. Um, there was a time a few weeks ago where I was kind of getting a max crowded reading, but that has gone away. People, for whatever reason, um, have sold into this la- latest rally. Uh, so, therefore, it's less position long. So, I'm not looking to get short here. Um, the interesting things for me, um, I-, I try to trade medium to long term turns in the market, right? And we saw um, certainly. At the highs, for example, at the end of uh, 2021, we saw mass longs in this data. Um, at the lows in the fall of 2022, we saw massive shorts in this data. And and those are the kind of things I try and catch, right? Um, obviously. Um, and there's a lot of times where it's just neutral, like now, where there is no trade. I'm not long the stock market here. Um, But I am, as of right now, not looking to get short the stock market either. So I'm just neutral the stock market. I trade 35 plus markets. And um I always look at it like I'm sort of counting cards on these 35 whatever tables. And when the card count gets high, then that's the market that I'm focusing on. Um, and stocks right now don't offer that to me. Um So... In fact, there's almost nothing that offers that to me right here, which is interesting in itself. You know, this has actually been um, the least amount of trades the last four or five months that I have ever had in a four or five month period. Um, And what's happened is trends have continued, right? Uh, Strategies like trend following and macro, which is essentially a, a trend following strategy a lot of times. Um, have had very good runs here. My process um, is looking to be negatively correlated to those things um, and offer obviously a positive return with negative correlation. That's what I offer to my clients, right? My clients are primarily fund of hedge funds. They have a bunch of hedge fund investments. They're looking for, as a good investor should do, um, They're looking for zero to negatively correlated return streams that can enhance their overall returns. And I offer them that. So at a time like now, um, it's been interesting that I've had the least amount of trades in a three or four month period that I've ever had by a long shot, okay? Um, but, and that's difficult. I only get paid when I make money, so I can't make money if I don't have trades on. But at the same time. Over the long term, you know, this has been a period where the people I'm supposed to be negatively correlated to have made a bunch of money and I'm flat. So that's good. If they can make 10 percent and I can be at zero and then they lose 10 percent and I can make that 10 percent, then that's the value that I add. Um, uh, so that's kind of where I'm at right now in, in the markets. The trends are going, the trends are not crowded enough for me to go the other way, and it's proving itself out. They're not crowded enough, which is why they keep going.
0: Okay, Jason, I have a lot of follow-up uh, questions there. First, quickly, when you talk about medium-term trends, what what type type of time horizon are your positions generally? And I know that you can't uniformly say that, no trader can, but are you talking about Three months, 12 months, somewhere in between. In general,
1: it tends to be about three to four months of my winning trades. Okay. I'll catch a turn because people are, let's say, super short. I'll get long. Oh If it works, it goes up. Those shorts get squeezed. That information goes neutral and I get out. It's generally about three or four months. I've had them last up to a year, um, even longer. But in general, it tends to be about a three, four-month period.
0: Okay. So then when you're talking about – uh long short now of course all positions are balanced with a long and a short in futures market but i believe you're talking about the cftc uh commitment of traders reports that's what you're following yeah and so when you're talking about the positions long or short are you referring to the speculative uh portion of how that is measured and can you for 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 viewers that might be familiar with the commitment of traders report uh break us break it down for us what you are actually looking at cuz there you have spec positioning then there's uh, I believe there's dealer positioning so walk us through that process so first. there's
1: two th- there's speculator positioning that's broken down into larger and smaller speculators and then the opposite of that which is the commercial positioning so at market turns massive market turns I'm looking for the speculator positioning to be super one-sided relative to history And the commercial is going to be to the opposite of that side, because obviously, like you say, for every long, there's a short. So if I'm looking to get long something, it's going to show commercial super long um, relative to history. And the speculators are super short relative
0: to history. Wonderful. So uh, and I I want to explain that to our viewers, that what Jason is looking at is the commitment of traders reports that gets released by the CFTC every week. The data is a couple days lagging, so it's fairly live data. Um, It's not exactly live, but it, it does lag a couple days. And what he's looking at, because of course, all futures positions have a long and a short, the CFTC breaks it down into cohorts, and he's looking at basically the trader's portion of that positioning. He's looking to see when they are super long, and he's looking to fade those trends meaning Jason is a contrarian trader. That's, that's what he does. So talk to us, Jason, you say about that there's very low volume for you right now. Does that mean you have the least amount of trades on that you've ever had or the least amount of trading and you still have a couple positions or is it a little bit of both?
1: I have nothing on right now and I have nothing set up to get on right now. Um, very rare for me. I've been doing this over 20 years. Um, my total time of never having a position on, or having zero positions on, in those twenty-four years, total time is probably two months. You know, a few days here, a few days there. Um, I really haven't had a position on this whole year.
0: So, how do you how do you work with that discipline? I guess it comes from experience and having a very thorough process. But not getting into a position takes a lot of it's not really willpower. It's discipline, It's trading discipline. And so where does that trading discipline come from? Talk to us about maybe how certain levels or metrics haven't been breached and why you haven't pulled the trigger on some of those positions, just so the traders out there understand how you go about it.
1: I haven't pulled the position because there's been nothing to pull the trigger on. Um, you know, I trade a process. If the process doesn't hit, then there's nothing for me to do. Now, clearly I can sit here and I can buy, sell whatever the hell I want anytime I want. So there has to be a discipline to do that. This has been a a new thing for me to not have any trades in two months is is a brand new thing for me. Right. So it's been a new test for my discipline. Right. Um, but you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. Um, and I can, um, I can accept losing trades. They happen to me all the time, right? I'm um, Part of my process, I, t- I cut my loss, I get stopped out, whatever it is, I take my loss. That's part of the process and I'm well aware of that. What I can accept is losing trades on trades that are not process, right? That kills me, that keeps me up at night, that pisses me off, that angers me to, to no extent. So there's that part of it, right? Um, it's a little bit easier for me in a way, because I am managing some a process that creates a return stream for my clients. They are giving me money for that return stream. And I have clients who understand this, right? Um, I've been doing this for a long time. i, I i've I've been able to been fortunate enough to have clients that are still with me for a long time that are specifically hiring me for this process and they understand that right um i also don't charge management fees so like no one's calling me up saying hey we haven't made a trade in two months what am i paying you for well you're not paying me i only make money when i make money right so i don't have to, and that, i purposely organized my business that way for for that specific purpose um i have really surrounded my business and my entire life so that i can stay disciplined to this process right um but even now like I think that my clients are are very happy with me, quite frankly, being flat this year, because all these other things that they have in their portfolio, like trend following, are crushing it. So if I cannot lose money while all these things are crushing it, then I've done my job plus plus, right? I used to, um, when I used to market to people and and try to raise money, I used to say to them, listen, this is what you want to happen. You want to give me money and you want me to lose money every single month. Because if I lose money every single month, it means everything else in your portfolio is killing it, right? And people are like, how can you tell somebody that? You're trying to raise money from them and you're you're telling them that they they want you to lose money every month. And I'm like, well, I'm making the point. You know what I mean? I'm not going to lose money every month because not everything in their portfolio is going to make money every month, right? But ultimately, that would be the best thing for them, right? Here, I'll lose 10% this year. means your portfolio probably makes 50% in that case, right? And case in point, these portfolios are up. Some of these, like, you know, I see some of these larger trend followers, you know, they're up 10, 15% year to date. I'm flat. Okay. So that's a home run to me and, and, and to my clients. Again, doesn't get me paid. Okay, but it will later. I'm confident enough to have been through these cycles enough to know that there will be a time when my trades will come. I will catch a few winning trades. And rather than making back losses during that time period, I'll just be making fresh highs and I'll be able to get paid, whether that's a month away, whether it's three months away, whatever it is. You know, Um, that's not up to me. You know, that's up to the markets and the positioning and, and, and where people decide to to get crazy, you know.
0: And Jason's referring to what's known in the hedge fund world as the high water, uh watermark. And uh, what it means is that he only makes money on new gains. He doesn't get to make money twice. If he, if he, if he loses money, he doesn't get to make performance fees on the way back up to tie the previous balance. He only makes them as they go higher. So that's what underlines the, importance there of what he's talking about in that he's flat uh, on the year with no positions. And Jason, we appreciate the highly quantitative approach here because a lot of what we do at the Bitcoin layer is we look at macro and you don't really, you you tell us that you watch macro, of course you're reading everything that's going on, but macro and your opinion on predicting the future and what things are going, it's not technically in your process because you're driven by these much more quantitative metrics. With that being said, we want to know what are your thoughts here on the Fed and where we are in the monetary uh, policy cycle? Do you think the Fed can keep rates here up here for a while? um, Much north of 5%
1: I can give you my opinion. I would listen to it with a grain of salt, okay? Um, Because I I would never trade off of any of this stuff. I I have, in the history, made some very good macro calls and some very bad ones. But where they have come from, is, I look at the positioning, it tells me the odds of where the markets are going to go. And then I will back into a macro thing that will make that make sense, okay? It had nothing to do with me being a great macro strategist right um, at the beginning of last year my big call was there was no recession in sight and everybody thought that that was a little bit crazy right but it wasn't because I was looking at my forecast for the future of the economy right I was looking at positioning and I was looking at what everybody was saying and everybody had this guaranteed recession baked into the market at that point so the risk reward was to go the other way right did I know that the economy was going to, you know, do what it's done? Uh, clearly, I didn't, and nor did anyone. But I just looked at it from a risk-reward point of view of if everybody's got this recession guaranteed baked in, then, then where's the advantage of playing that? The advantage of the risk-reward is playing it the other way, right? Um, although, from a positioning, it, it takes it to another level of positioning. If everybody thinks a recession's coming, then everybody's going to slow down their spending. Right? And if everybody slows down their spending and then the recession doesn't come, now they're caught behind and they have to increase their spending to catch up, which is exactly what's gone on here, right? Which is exactly why the economy has been much stronger. So that's kind of how I approach the macro. What is the macro now? Um, we were looking at five, six rate cuts this year. I think that was clearly not going to happen. Um, and now that's been taken out. My feel for everything was until everybody jumped on board, off board of the recession thing and got on board with the growth thing that it was just going to continue. We're now getting there. I don't know that we're fully there, but every day I hear another, the recession coming person throwing in the towel on that idea, right? We even heard last week. The beginnings of people thinking, hey, maybe the next move is actually up and not down, right? Um, a few people are starting to say that. Um, so we are getting closer, in my view, to the risk of recession based on that. Taking the opposite from last year, we're now getting the other way. We're starting to get the other way. Um, so... That's kind of how I feel about that. So what does that mean for the Fed? You know, I don't think that the Fed has lied to us once, quite frankly. They've told us exactly what they're going to do, right? They they were never the ones saying six times. They said, we're going to be looking at the data, and if it gets down here, then we're going to cut. And, if, you know, the, the thing in the back of my mind, the conspiracy theorist in me, which we all have, and it all tends to be wrong over time, but the conspiracy theorist in me tells me the Fed knows damn well about this um, this commercial real estate problem okay um, the Fed knows damn well um, that the government is borrowing incredible amounts of money and that some of the auctions have not gone very well um, and the Fed knows damn well that if that goes bad things could go very very bad so therefore they want to at the very least keep a lid on interest rates right whether they're jawboning that or however they're doing it. Like if we had looked, if we had just blindly looked at data, woke up today after five years of sleep and just blindly looked at the last six months of data, GDP, CPI, whatever, would you be telling me that we're cutting interest rates? There's no way, right? So why is that even the talk that of what they're doing, right? And the talk is, I believe, because they have to try and job on this because if interest rates go, you know, to some whatever, 7, 8% or something, there's trouble, man. You know I mean? There's trouble in commercial real estate where these people have to, you know, refinance. We all know this, right? And there is trouble in government borrowing, you know? Like we know the interest rate numbers are, versus GDP are going up pretty quickly. And if rates go from four to eight percent, they they go up twice as quickly, right? Because the interest rate that they have to pay is that much higher. So I, the conspiracy theorist in me, thinks that there is that, and the Fed doesn't want that to get away from because they know damn well much more than I would ever know what, what's behind the curtain. Um, and that's, this is not a doomsayer type of thing; they, they might be able to pull it off for all I know, right? Um, but I, I believe that that is there. I believe that's why the, the world is talking lower rates, because it's almost unfathomable to think about what's going to happen if there's not lower rates, or at least if they don't settle around here, right? So that's a danger. You know, that's a danger. And and I've spoken about that in my newsletter and and in interviews many times, this massive downside thing, which, again... It's so fun to talk about, you know, and you can make a video about it and you put the flames in the background and, you know, it's, it's all this bear porn and it, it gets a lot of, you know, views and all that. I did a, a video, I don't know if it was about six months ago, where I, I, I took my data and I took what I was thinking and I did a, a hugely bearish scenario. And I took the same data and the same thing and made a bullish scenario. And the bearish scenario got 10 times the view of the bullish scenario. And I put them out the same day based on the same data, right? So people love bear porn. Right. Uh, and, and therefore, I don't like to talk about that, but I do sometimes because I, I do think that that is the risk. You know, um, the big risk here becomes if something bad happens and they have to reprint money. Right. Like they did in in '8, Right. And that doesn't work. You know. At what point doesn't that work? And I'm not saying that it doesn't work the first try or whatever. I don't know where. But certainly I'm a believer that physics teaches us that there are limits to everything in the world. And that includes how much money can be printed by the United States of America. And and I also am a believer. I don't know if that is in six months or in a year or in 20 years or, or, or in 40 years or 100 years. I don't know which one. But the risk is there. right? And the market, I also believe, will always tell you. right? So if, let's say... This happened. This, this stuff started to go down and suddenly the banks were in trouble and whatever and, and suddenly the Fed had to print money. Well, that worked in 08. And I was there in 08. I worked for a big hedge fund in 08. And no one believed it was going to work, by the way, which to me is why it did work, right? Because they were discounting in the fact that it wasn't going to work. And so it did work. Now we live in a world where people count on that working. So what happens if it doesn't? What happens if they print money? and stocks go down anyway, and bonds go down anyway, and the dollar goes down anyway. That's what I'm always gonna look for, right? They have to print money, stocks, bonds, and dollar go down on that. Then I think we're done, you know? And and I'm not predicting that to happen, but I'm saying that's what we have to watch out for. All the doomsayers and all the crash callers and all the people that, for whatever reason, love to be bearish and all that stuff, that's what you gotta look for, to me for that to tell you. And then you can trade that if you want, right? But trading that any other time has over time just been ridiculous. Now it worked a few times in in history, but you know, over time that that trade has been very, very bad and continues to be very, very bad. Um, But that's to me what to look for in that situation. So that's kind of what I'm thinking on the macro thing. Usually these things, you know, when we go back, I do this a lot, go back and read stuff from 20 years ago, 40 years ago whatever it was, it all seems like a big deal at the time. It was on the front page of the New York Times, you know, this whole thing. And um, and it always seems like such a big deal. And 20 years later, even 10 years later, even five years later, it's not that big a deal. You know, things just kind of, the human race just kind of keeps going on. You know what I mean? They, they find ways to make money, to put food on their family's table. And they find ways to become more productive so they can make more money out of, you know, an equal amount of work or whatever. And over time, that's kind of what, what goes on, you know? And, and, and clearly, this whole macro picture now is driven a lot by this whole AI, you know, fiasco. Um, and my issue with that is I have no clue. I'm 56 years old, okay? I barely know how to use Microsoft Excel, okay? Like, people are forecasting what this AI thing is going to look like in five to ten years. I think you're out of your mind if you start telling me that you can tell me what the world is going to look like in five years. Like, that's where we're at here. I don't think anybody can tell me what the world is going to look like in five to ten years. I, I believe it's impossible, right? And therefore, how do you discount in what, as everybody loves to talk about, NVIDIA is worth, I don't know. Is the whole thing a scam? Like, all I hear about is there's there's two sides of this story now. It's either a complete scam, or it's going to take over the world. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. Well, clearly the highest probability is that it's it's somewhere in the middle of those two things, right? Um, but. To forecast that, you know, we hear chat GTP sucks. Okay, I mean, I don't know if it sucks, but it clearly isn't creating trillions of dollars of value. But it's not about that. It's about the things that we don't know that it could do or maybe it can't do. We don't know. Are people going to adopt it or are they not going to adopt it? Who knows, right? And what is it that they're even adopting? We don't even know yet what it is they're supposed to adopt or not adopt. So how do you forecast that? I I think it's an... It's just an exercise in silliness to me. And even if we look back at the Internet, okay, I lived through the Internet bubble, late 90s, okay? Everybody was exactly right that the Internet was going to change the world. And they were exactly wrong how, right? There was no such thing when when, when the Internet bubble was going on. There was no such thing as social media. There was no such thing as Twitter, right? Right? There was Pets.com and and all this stuff. Even Amazon, okay, was a bookseller, right? The stock went from ten to one, right? When the internet bubble went to ten, and then it came down to like one, right? And now it's done its thing, but not because of its a but it's a bookseller, because it got into businesses that didn't even exist during the internet bubble, the cloud and all this stuff that's above my head, right? But that's where they made their big money, right? And by the way, when he got into the cloud, I think it was on the cover of Business Week, what a stupid idea it was that he was getting into things that he didn't know about, right? Um, So I feel like it's the same thing. IA has got to do something. We have no idea what. And it's most likely going to be different than what we think.
0: Absolutely. Jeff Bezos, the idiot for getting into uh, Amazon Web Services and, and, and other things like that, which is partly my next question for you, Jason you are a contrarian trader that is driven by the commitment of trader reports from the futures regulator itself but you but you are a headline watcher and you follow everything that is going on and i can see that it is part of your process to try to balance the two in in your mind it might not be your quantitative process to let the headline trigger a trade but i see that you do both at the same time so Talk to us about that process of your headline watching, looking for the contrarian indicators in, within the headlines and maybe how, just how you think about contrarian approach to headlines while understanding that it's not what triggers your trade, the, ma- the, the numbers trigger it.
1: Actually, I have to, first of all, that's a good pickup. And second of all, I have to uh, tell you that the headline is what triggers my trades, right? So I have data that tells me people are super short here. I'm looking to get long. But I'm not getting long based off of that. I'm getting long based off of the headline, right? I'm letting the market confirm to me first before I do anything, which is important for any trading process in my view. You think this, you think that, you think NVIDIA is overvalued, you think NVIDIA is undervalued, whichever it is, right? But let the market tell you which one, right? Instead of just getting in the way. You could have thought NVIDIA was uh, overvalued 200% ago and and you'd be run over, right? So I wait for the market to tell me, and that's why I follow these things and the headlines and what's driving behind it. So I'm looking to get long something, all right? Let's say I'm looking to get long stocks, and let's say it's October of 2022. All right. And in October of 2022, the world is freaking out about inflation. That's what's going on. Right. The market's coming down. It's on new lows. The world's freaking out about inflation, which is not getting under control. Bonds are getting crushed. Stocks are getting crushed. Everybody has gotten short. Um, The CPI number comes out in October of 2022. It's much higher than expectations were. And it's the highest CPI number we saw for the entire thing up to that point. Right. We can't put ourselves in today. And let's put ourselves in October of 2022. And what happens? What should happen in that situation? Right. Clearly, given that that's what's driving the freak out, stocks should go down on that. And they did for about three hours. And then they closed up on the day. Why did they close up on the day? It wasn't because of a headline CPI number that was much higher than anybody ever expected when that was what people were freaking out about to begin with. It's because it was already discounted in as the position showed you. So on that day, I get long. The market's now telling me, hey, the worst fear just happened and the market can't go down and everybody's already short. That's when I get long right and that doesn't always work maybe later it goes down more and it takes out that low and okay i got stopped out so i'm risking one day's worth of volatility essentially and if it ends up being right then i catch the low and i ride it up for as long as people stay short which in this case ended up being till about july of of last year so the return to the risk is multiple multiple times right and that's really what trading is about at the end of the day right is getting yourself into situations where your return is much more than your risk over time you're never going to get them all right you know um but the ones you get right have to be a lot more than the ones you get wrong but so that's how i use the headline and that's why i follow the headlines right in these markets in particular that are are set up for me to trade i I start to follow what's been driving this particular market um, on a fundamental basis so i know when the market can then tell me hey They got everything they wanted, and the market didn't go their way anyway. So now is a good chance, a good risk reward to get in.
0: Okay, Jason, I want to get your take on the rates market first, and then we'll close with the Bitcoin market. So given what you described to us about positioning and sentiment in October in 2022 with equities, did you also put on a position in rates at that time? And how do you view putting on two positions at the same time that might be the same expression as, you know, in terms of getting long treasury futures and getting long stocks at that point, which would have both worked out. Um, So give us your take on balancing those markets and then overlay that, please, with what have been your trades in treasuries over the last year, year and a half, two years what, which trends have you faded? Well, which ones maybe have you missed?
1: So let's start with the treasuries. I have not been able to put a treasury trade on in, in, in a long time. And it's because the data, um, from the CFTC has been, um, corrupted, right? And it's been corrupted because a lot of these huge multi-strategy hedge funds have more or less given up on their ability to trade long short equity because they were so bad at it. And they're going back to sort of traditional hedge fund type of trading, such as the treasury basis trade, right? And they've put the treasury basis trade on in such a huge amount of size that has completely skewed the COT data, um, for, for fixed income. So that has somewhat screwed me. Um, in in treasury my general feeling and I have videos of this on YouTube you know I put videos on YouTube every weekend and I was talking last spring to summer early summer a lot about how everybody that I knew was buying TLT and it just kept making new lows and I did a whole video about you have to stop buying TLT okay you just got to stop Like, I get it, I get why you want to do it, but wait for some market confirmation before you do it. Don't listen to me. This is not saying it's bearish. It's just saying stop buying it until there's some market confirmation. And that was fine until everything turned at the end of October of last year. And I didn't get long treasuries there. And I didn't make a video saying get long treasuries there either, but treasuries did. Did rip obviously quite a bit because we had the whole, you know, suddenly all the things that I was kind of talking about in that video. Um, with over the next couple of months, everybody started to talk about the issuance and, and, and all that, right? And then we had an issuance thing that was better than expected because now everybody was obviously discounting that whole issuance thing. In we got one better than expected, and from that point on, everything sort of ripped, right? Um, so that's kind of been my experience with treasuries. Um, I think that you know people forget too. Like the Treasuries can go decades without going anywhere, man. You know the rates could be between whatever three and a half and five and a half percent for the next twenty years. That's actually more normal than anything else, right? Um, so that's probably the most likely thing. Um, but I, I can't trade him because the the, the data has been corrupted, unfortunately. Um, it- Sorry, guys.
0: Chase, do you think there's any there's any big systemic risk in the size of the basis trade, or do you have any thoughts there? One would
1: think so, right? Um, except that we hear a lot that it's being monitored by by the Fed and, and and by everybody. So therefore, systemic risk tends to come from something that's not being monitored, right? So this is being heavily monitored, from what I understand. They're sort of changing the rules on what these people have to. Uh, categorize themselves on in the CFTC stuff too although I don't think that comes into effect until like next year Um, but they're starting to change the rules and they are watching that and and the open interest is dropping quite a bit um, over the last sort of month in, in fixed income so I don't know systemic risk I don't think I've ever seen systemic risk actually happen from something that anybody was looking at you know it's like predicting systemic risk by by definition doesn't make sense you know um, which arguably gets into you know the commercial real estate thing because a lot of people are predicting that too. You know now look the systemic risk in 08 did come from the residential real estate bubble and people were predicting that. Um, but they were predicting it in, you know, 05, 06, 07, and it took four years to come to fruition, and by that point, nobody had to trade on anymore because they couldn't afford to have it on anymore because they would have been losing money. You know, the one guy, Burry, still had it on, but he was lucky enough to have people who he managed money for that were allowed, allowed him to sit on losses for three years. You typical hedge fund manager's not sitting on losses for three years, first of all, because they have to make money to live, and second of all, because they're fired if they do that. Um, so, That's my thought on the systemic side of it. Um, If I'm going to take a intellectual view of it, that I would think that there'd be some systemic risk in commercial real estate. Yes. But, you know, uh, let's see how that plays out. The other question is about how do I deal with I get two trades on. Um, If I have a bunch of trades on that are, let's take an extreme example. Let's say I get signals to buy the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ, and Russell all at the same time. And I, I think that I'm risking this much per trade to my stop, but clearly I'm not risking that much because it's all one trade. So it's four times the size. So I deal with that. You know, I, I shrink my sizing down, right? I'll either just put one on since they're all the same trade anyway, or I'll put all four on in smaller size. Um, that's all a risk management kind of game. Unless I can get some kind of hedging trade on the other side, according to my process. Um, that I believe hedges those trades, right, Um, on a correlation basis. Otherwise, I'll just shrink the size. You know, I I have what some think is a bad habit. I personally think is a good habit um, of being um, more risk averse than anything else, right? I, I tend to believe... I got to protect my downside at all times, right? So I'm going to be, you know, could I have made more money had I not been doing that? Yes, possibly. But would I have been able to sit through the losses if I were doing that? Possibly not. So therefore, I wouldn't be around to get those big gains. You know, I I tell clients of mine, and some have done it. I'm like, look, if what you want is more volatility out of what I'm doing, then you leverage me up. I'm a futures trader. You can lever me up easily, right? You you make that choice. I don't charge you management fee anyway, so it makes no difference. It'd be one thing if like, okay, I'm managing $20 million for you. Well, if you lever me up and it's $40 million, then I'm going to charge you more fees. But I'm not because I'm not charging management fees. So you can do that free, essentially. And you don't even have to tell me for that matter. I don't know what you're allocating to me out of your out of your pool of assets, tell me it's fifty million dollars, or tell me it's twenty, and let it be ten. You know, and I'll manage it like twenty, and on your book, it's only on ten, and you got double leverage. I don't even have to know, right? But I have to trade to a level where I'm comfortable; otherwise, the upside won't come. You know, people are like, "Oh, well, you made fifteen percent with a five percent drawdown. Well, why don't you double it and just have thirty percent on a ten percent drawdown? Why don't you triple it and have you know forty-five percent on a on a fifteen percent drawdown?" Like, you don't know that that would have happened because I might have freaked out. I'm used to a certain amount of volatility and maybe I can't handle it at 56 years old. Maybe I would have had a heart attack in the middle of it and died because I can't handle the volatility. So, you know, you don't know that the returns would be the exact same. So that's what I say to them. I don't charge you management fee, so you lever it. I don't even know the difference, right? Um, so that's my thought on the whole risk management side of my trades.
0: We appreciate that. And I quickly want to get your take before your Bitcoin take on something you mentioned here which is that you're starting to see the what I've noticed of the cup last couple of days a new co- cohort of people talking about how nominal gdp is not going to decline in this type of environment of high deficit spending is that has that triggered some of your own alarm bells as a contrarian trader without a doubt.
1: And I've been waiting not necessarily for that line, but I've been waiting now over a year, okay, for this to to come across where they have to throw the recession thing out and we're starting to, it's so good to hear you say that because we are starting to finally see that and I can't make money here. Okay? I can't make money long the stock market here, all right? My process won't allow me to do it. Um, I can make money short the stock market here at some point in the near future, I would think. Um, so sadly, I want to see that happen, right? Uh, And I, by the way, think shorting stocks and the stock market is, is the worst trade. I know it is. It's the worst trade ever invented by man. All right. I've been trading 35 years. I can tell you, I've had some very good trades on the short side of the stock market, but I have not, I've lost more money trying to short the stock market than any other trade by far, right? This is the one market that over time has upward drift. So shorting it is just poison, right? Do I have to do it sometimes? Yes. But um, But yes, we are, we are absolutely starting to hear that thing. And that's the, especially the way you said it, right? We can recognize that it's extremely dangerous, right? There's no way there can be recess- – we went from last year to it, we definitely have a recession coming to now there's no way there can be a recession because of deficit spending or whatever the reason, right? There, there's no way there can be a recession when NVIDIA and these guys are all changing the world, right? Because they're creating so much money. And my belief on a macro view is that that money is spinning money supply, right? We're we're, we're spinning velocity, Right. Because how else could GDP be growing? You're an economist, I think, right? Or you know more about this than I do. But I understand there's international flows too. But if money supply is not growing, then how does GDP grow? It's got to be money. It's got to be velocity, right, spinning. And I think that's what these guys are doing. They're spinning it. So because all this money they're making, obviously, gets spent somewhere. And you know how the economy works. And all of a sudden, it's spread out and blah, 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 right? Um, And it's one of the greatest... Accumulations of wealth that I think probably the greatest accumulation of wealth that the world has ever seen, right? Um, but once that all gets fully discounted in, that's where the danger becomes. And, and yes, we are, we are getting there, just like you just said. I think we are getting there when suddenly there can never be a recession because all you have to do is deficit spend. That's where we get into that whole scary part because I believe. And to this point, it has not been true. But I believe at some point, there is a limit to that. There has to be a limit. On my, on my wall, right here, I've got a $10 trillion bill from the Bank of Zimbabwe. Okay? $10 trillion on one bill. Now, am I saying the U.S. is going to be Zimbabwe? No. I'm not even saying this has to happen anytime in our lifetime. But... I think it's something you have to watch out for because we're clearly closer to it today than we were yesterday.
0: It's a perfect segue to Bitcoin because a lot of Bitcoiners own one of those Zimbabwe notes as a reminder as to what can happen to government currency. Jason, what have, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Is it something you trade? Is it something you watch? What, what have you seen from the future spec positioning over the last uh, year or two? I've been bullish Bitcoin. Uh,
1: Bitcoin since – I'm just looking at the chart right now on the positioning. They flipped um, from long to short, which is when I got <laughs> bullish. Sorry, just give me a second. I don't have good eyesight. In the first week in November of last year is when I started to become bullish um, Bitcoin. Um, and they haven't flipped long yet. the the speculators. In fact, they've been getting shorter the last few weeks, so they're selling into the rally, which is what you want to see, right? I've continued to be bullish Bitcoin. I have suggested to my readers and and the people on my Discord that if you want to be short stocks, which it strikes me everybody kind of does, but if you want to be short stocks, then be long Bitcoin against it at least. Have a long on in, in some risk asset, and Bitcoin strikes me as the place to be, in that, I am um, not a Bitcoiner. I am not a you know whatever. One of the, I again at my age, you know I, I don't know enough about what the hell Bitcoin even is. Um, but um, I still live to regret the day that in two thousand. I want to say it was in two thousand and nine. I worked at a hedge fund and my analyst came up to me and he said, Hey man, you check out this new coin thing that they're doing, you know, maybe we should throw like 10 grand into it. And we didn't. Um, And it must've been trading like what? I don't know. Two cents then or something like that. You know, clearly I would be one of these, you know, except that I, the only way I lived through that is I know that we would have lost it somehow. Right. It was all in those digital wallets or whatever. And we would have not even known where it was and it probably would have gotten stolen. That's the only way I, I lived through, through that because I can specifically remember having the conversation with this kid. And we were like, oh, we should throw like 10 grand in it, you know, just for the hell of it. Sounds cool. Um, and we never did. So I don't know enough about Bitcoin. I'm just trading off of the psychology and the, and the positioning. And to me, based on the psychology and the positioning here, it continues. And the trend, I mean, we've got a trend that people are not freaking out long into. Those are the best kind of trends there are, right? If everybody was freaking out long into the trend, then I think that the, the odds of it continuing would be less. But they're not doing that as of yet. So therefore, if they're going to get to a point where we're going to do that, then that's more buying that's coming in. And that means it's going up. Um, I do own some Bitcoin, but only because I bought some of that um, Bitcoin trust um, when it was trading at like a 35% discount um after the whole thing with that that guy you know what's his name bankman freed or whatever him and his uh his little girlfriend um when they blew that up and the thing was trading at a 35 percent discount and i was starting to see you know changes in positioning here i was like okay i mean what's the downside of buying that i didn't buy millions of dollars at the thing or anything, but i put a you know some money into that um and i still hold that thing it's not any kind of you know percent of my net worth whatever one percent maybe not even but um but from here which is your question and, and which is all i really know how to do i think bitcoin is is long.
0: and jason will make you a deal uh, because we really enjoyed this conversation we'll have you back on you can continue to teach us about trading and we'll continue to teach you about bitcoin or start your bitcoin education so <laughs> that you the can more i
1: know the less good old, the, the worst i'll do
0: <laughs> All right. Well, well, we we want you to be able to hold that position for as long as possible. And I think that knowledge is power there. So maybe we will we will push back and we will try to teach you a thing or two about Bitcoin, if you're so willing. Uh, Jason Shapiro, a really fantastic interview on contrarian trading. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please tell our audience where they can find your Crowded Market Report.
1: So CrowdedMarketReport.com is a website that uh, you, know, you can sign up for. We have a Discord. We have a, a weekly um, newsletter, um, which really is just my weekly trading notes for what I plan to do this week and all that. And that's what it always was, and it became this newsletter. Um, and then I'm on Twitter, you know, uh, crowded market, some crowded underscore MKT, I think, underscore RPT, something like that. Um, and I put some stuff on there that's really you know, Twitter's a strange place, man, you know, but I try to put stuff on there that tries to get conversation going is what I do. You know, people want to rip into you and be like, oh, you said this, you said that. But, you know, Twitter is right. But I, I try to put stuff on Twitter to get some conversation going to try and judge what people are thinking and therefore what's the underlying psychology going on there. Um, and then I'm on, on YouTube. I, I've been doing videos on YouTube for a few years now. Every weekend I'll, I'll put something on YouTube. Um, either about trading or or trading psychology or risk management. Once in a while, I'll approach the market specifically, but that's not really the point here. Um, And I will say even the newsletter, while I am showing the trades that I am doing, I am not here to be a tip sheet, right? I really like to show people the trades that I'm doing within my process so that they can follow along with me to see the psychology behind it to see the discipline behind it and all that. Um, and if they want to do these trades, obviously, I can't stop them from doing it. But I consistently try to remind everybody that I would never put all my money into my trade process. I would never put, tell my clients to put all their money into my trade process. I have a process that is specifically designed to be part of a larger portfolio. Okay. Um, but what we do talk a lot about on there are things about trading you know, risk management. These are the things that matter, right? How to get risk reward in your favor, how to get risk management, how to stop making stupid decisions because you just want to trade and, you know, having to get the mindset of what do you really want out of this? Do you want to be right or do you want to make money? You know, I always say be wrong, make money, right? Um, And and what are the, the mindsets that can help you develop your process? to become better that's really what I try to focus this whole thing about it's not come on there and Jason Shapiro is gonna tell you you know all the greatest trades and help you turn ten thousand dollars into a million dollars over the next six months it's not that I tell people if that's what you want there's plenty of those people out there go there blow your money out with them and then if you're still ready then you can come to us and hopefully I can I, I can help you really learn how to how to become better at this
0: And we're not interested in that either. We're interested in education, learning about trading from someone who has a quantitative discipline such as yourself. Uh, With Jason Shapiro, I'm Nick Batia. We'll catch you next time at the Bitcoin Layer. Thanks, Nick. The Bitcoin Layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free. Now, River is an amazing Bitcoin-only exchange that offers Lightning Network withdrawals and deposits. They offer zero fee recurring orders and a really cool new feature that allows you to text Bitcoin to your friends and family. Go check them out, river.com slash TBL.